It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to be able to share with you guys this morning. Um, we have been gone for a couple of weeks. We got in last night. Um, we were on a 3,000-mile road trip with the family. Took the kids to Zion, Bryce Canyon, Grand, uh, yeah, Bryce, Zion, and Grand Canyon. Yeah, forgive me. It's been a long couple of weeks, 3,000 miles. They say if it's you and your wife, it's a vacation. If you take the kids, it's a trip. It was definitely a trip. It was a great trip. I was blessed, but it was definitely a trip. So um, it was great. And uh, I want to thank a, a few people for helping us out with that. Tara Vialta, Natalie Spurlock, Evie Tobin, Rachel Fisher, Justin, Trevor, Brandon, Orndoff, all those guys that covered for us the last couple of weeks. So like a lot of you guys put in 50, 55 hours a week, we get a couple of weeks to just go get away. And you're like, wow, there's life outside of Grants Pass. This is amazing. Wow, so cool. But I tell you all that to ask for some uh, patience with me. I'm teaching off an iPad. The Bible I've used for the last 10 years to teach out of um, was on the journey with me. And there were some creeks and some hikes and things. And so uh, I'm teaching off an iPad for the first time this morning. So the transition should, should go all right. But um, we're going to be in Exodus 40. And we're going to bookend it with Revelations 2. Revelation chapter 2, I should say. The goal this morning is, I just want you to see how beautiful, how loving, how persistent our Heavenly Father is in His pursuit of you. I want you to be encouraged to step into the role or the purpose He has for you in His kingdom. And I want you firing on all cylinders. I want you to get your passion, your fire going. We talk a lot about building His kingdom, and I want to talk about how that might look, how that happens what we do if we feel like we've lost the fire. So I feel like there's, there's three groups hopefully we're going to hit this morning. Number one, you don't have it, you need it. Number two, you have it, you want a little guidance. Number three, you had it, you feel like you lost it. So if that's you, hopefully we've got some, uh, a word here from God that will encourage you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather. Thank you for uh, the privilege it is to have fellowship with you. I pray, Lord, that you would um, encourage us today. I pray, Lord, that, that we would feel a sense of purpose today. I pray, Lord, that if your word challenges us in some way, Lord, that we would accept that challenge, that we would be encouraged to trust you and be obedient to the great life you have in store for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the interest of time, I'm not going to go all the way through the scriptures that I had laid out for you in Exodus, but beginning in chapter 40, verse 16 through 33, what we see is the Israelites have been pulled out of slavery. God has pulled them, saved them, pulled them out of this, and now he is on his way, sending them on their way to their promised land. 16 through 33, God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. You're going to create a tabernacle. And he gives explicit detail in 16 through 33 how he wants that to look. This, in verse 16, it says, This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. So simple and yet so precise. In the next few verses, you'll see 
descriptions about creating bases and frames and poles and pillars and a tent, the ark. Some of you are so familiar with this, the mercy seat, the screen door, the outside veil, the bread, the lampstand, and on and on, great detail. And it ends in verse 33. So Moses finished the work. Again, I love how simple but impactful that line is. Moses finished the work. Through faithful obedience, the work that God laid before him, he built it. He tells Moses to build this tabernacle with precision, and Moses, Moses is obedient in doing so. Exodus 40, verse 34 through 35, let's read. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses does all this work. Before he's able to enter, God says, hold on a second. You can't come in. There needs to be a sacrifice made. We see almost immediately in Leviticus 1, here's how you enter the tabernacle. This is the sacrifice that needs to be made to experience God's power in your lives. And a way is made for his people to experience the power and the presence of God here in Leviticus 1. So not only does God provide a way of escape from slavery and sin, but leads them and protects them and provides for them as he draws them into the promised land, the ultimate life that he has for his people. Not just a savior, but a loving father who's got the best life possible for his kids. It doesn't take a genius to see this picture is a picture of what God has for us. God the Father saving us from the the slavery of sin and leading and protecting us, providing for us. We also, in the same way Moses did, need to step out in that faithful obedience, listening to the call that God has placed on our hearts so that we can experience that tabernacle. And now for me, the tabernacle, the way I picture, just for me to think about it, very simple terms, just the place to dwell with God. The place where broken sinners become made whole again to have perfect fellowship and communion with God. Exodus 40, verse 36 through 38 says, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, The people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So very simply, we have here, God is directing them. Using the cloud and the fire, God is communicating with his people. Here's what I have for you. Pay attention. You'll know when to stay. You'll know when to move. You'll know when to go. You'll know exactly what to do. You watch the cloud. Here's how it works. And I talk with people all the time. And I can't blame them because I've been in the same spot. I wish God spoke to me like he did to his people. I wish I could hear God's voice that clearly. I wish there was a cloud I could sit and watch and go, okay, that's where I'm supposed to go. That's what I'm supposed to do. We help with the high schoolers and middle schoolers, and it's, this, it, it's a common theme. Adults experience the same thing. I wish God would communicate that easily with us. 
And yet he does. And he provides such a better opportunity for us. Let's look at a few things we see here in the New Testament. John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18. You can turn there if you want, but I'm going to go fast through a few of these. If you want to just jot them down, you can. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper, capital H, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You have it. Jesus says you have this helper. If you have surrendered your life to Christ and said, be my Lord and Savior, lead, guide, direct, you have that. Jesus clearly says it. John chapter 16, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, again, capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit was come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus gathers his disciples and says, you have this. It's coming. You don't need to sit and watch for a cloud. You don't need to wonder what God's saying. You have that dwelling place, that tabernacle within you. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple or tabernacle and that God's spirit dwells in you? You are God's tabernacle. The same spirit that hovered over creation, the same spirit we see throughout the Old and New Testament that speaks to God's people, the same spirit that Jesus is talking about is in you. It is in you. And if you're like me, sometimes that makes me feel uncomfortable. Really? How does that work? Really, God? It's easier to talk about sin and condemnation and redemption and being made whole and pure. It's easier to talk about those things than to talk about the fact that I have the Holy Spirit within me, that the tabernacle, the temple dwelling within me. God doesn't just stick out his hand and says, boom, I'm going to save you, pull you up out of the waters. He breathes life into us and pulls us to our feet and says, go and live this beautiful life. I didn't just come to save you. I came to give you life. So you have a cloud to follow. It's simple for us, but yet sometimes hard to think about how we can take what God has given us, the faith that God has given us, and then give it right back to him and walk it out in our lives how he has created us created us to do. I think about it like this. So we just finished our vacation. Um, like I said, a couple of weeks. I was Clark Griswold, suburban, loaded down, packed out, 3,000 miles of road trip, road meals, uh, feeling up all the time. I thought our card was going to explode from swiping it so much and uh, barely sleeping when we we're camping in Zion. Little known fact, Zion, Bryce Canyon, Grand Canyon, they are amazing, beautiful places. But if you're camping in Zion, know that about 11 p.m. to about 4 a.m., the wind howls through the canyon so bad it feels like it's going to flip your tent over. And so we slept three or four hours at night got up, did all the hiking and lots of driving from places. Our kids are 10, 13, and almost 16. So they were at the age where we felt they could handle it. Bucket list thing before they get too old. 
we get down there to Grand Canyon. It was the third of our stops, and we get down there. And if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, it is amazing. It truly is breathtaking. I, I was kind of like, well, you know, we're not hiking down the bottom, so going and seeing it, I, you know, it is breathtaking. You get to the edge, and you look down, and you just, it takes your breath away. And we, we kind of finish up, and we go back up into the gift shop, and we're doing what everybody else does. We're buying uh, souvenirs that we probably don't need and all these things and gifts for everybody. you got to buy something at every stop. They really kind of have you over a barrel in that way, just everywhere you go. And this is the last of the stops, and I'm kind of just like, wow, this is really expensive and fun, but expensive. Dad's just like, wow. And then my son comes up to me, and he says, Dad, I want to get this for you. It was a pocket knife at the Grand Canyon. It says, Grand Canyon, North Rim, number one dad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 2,000 miles of driving and all this and no sleep. And I get down there and I just wanted to walk around the gift shop. This is like, <laughs> I got it. I got the trophy. I made it. Number one dad. No sleep and a lot of travel, but I got the trophy. Number one, dad. My, my, my wife is um, collecting all the souvenirs and everything, and she goes over to the counter, and I'm with her, and, and she's paying with my card, and I see the knife go through. Oh, yeah, that knife you wanted to buy me. Yes. Bought myself a knife. Awesome. That's great. I bought myself a souvenir. But I'm no less proud of it. No less proud. And your heavenly father looks at you the same way. I gifted you with these gifts. I gifted you with this faith. I gifted you with this. And you turn around and you give back what he gave to you. And he's beaming with a full heart. He's like, yeah, it's my son. That's my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Now, listen. Moses <clears throat> had to obey. He followed those directions. It was step by step, and he had the experience of the tabernacle. There's somebody here today who doesn't know what that's like. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end. We're not there yet, but when we're at the end, if, that, if you're stirring in that way, I want you to know God has the best life possible. I want you clicking on all cylinders. God has created you for a purpose. And don't leave here today without finding that, that full life, without experiencing that, that dwelling of the tabernacle within you. But I also know there's people here who have probably been saved for a long time, been walking out their faith for a long time. And if you're like me, there's times where you feel like, man, the fire seems to be fading I don't see that lamp stand as clearly. My passion kind of seems to be gone a little bit. I want to encourage you with what we see in Revelation chapter 2. So if you could turn to Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, 
the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It says, I see all these great things about you. I see it. I know. I love you. But, but you've left your first love. You've lost the fire a little bit. The passion seems to be gone. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. I, I, I can bet you've probably experienced it. The rut, the dim light, the fading passion, not feeling it. Maybe you can think back to a time when you were first saved. Waking up, you couldn't get enough of your, your word. You didn't even understand all of it, but you were reading it and you were Googling things and pulling up, com- pulling up commentaries and you were at every Bible study you could get to. You were praying every day. Devotion time was something that you took serious. Your heart ached for your friends and family that didn't know Jesus. And over the course of time, the prayer life maybe diminishes a little bit. The devotion time gets put on the back burner. It's not a daily thing. It's a weekly thing. It's a... It's a email or a text maybe the the pain you feel for those that are lost kind of seems to fade a little bit you kind of maybe just look at the circumstances and maybe kind of just accept things for the way they are the passion and fire seem to fade and sometimes it can fade when you're doing good things the church in Ephesus Timothy was a young pastor there and doing good things and Paul writes to him and says, listen, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says in verse 3, as I urged you on my departure to Macedonia, you should stay on at Ephesus to instruct certain men not to teach false doctrines. Paul knew that Timothy's passion and his fire might be fading a little bit. In all his good works and what he was his toil there man I can tell you you're fading a little bit and I got to tell you don't go Timothy you got to stay there and we know you don't have to tell people to stay somewhere if it's easy and comfortable and fun the second week of our vacation we were at my father-in-law's house and he's about a five minute walk from the beach and you didn't have to tell me to stay at the beach the weather was perfect. The water was perfect. You had to drag us back to the house. But when it's tough and when it's difficult and when you have to persevere, you need these kind of words of encouragement. You need really that passion. Passion is perseverance. I'll be honest with you guys. Can I be honest with you guys without you judging me for something? Can I do that? You guys okay? Actually, go ahead and judge me. You'll have to answer to God, so I'll let you do that. 
So while we were, the second week, while we were down there, I agreed a couple months ago to fill in for Matt today. But the second week we were down there, and I didn't have time to study before I left. It was kind of crazy. Um, so the second week we're there, while we're resting, the first part of the week we were exploring, the second week was the, supposed to be beach and rest. And while we were resting, I was a lot of times up early or in the house at a quiet little spot in front of my laptop, and the kids were headed off out into the sun and to play in the water and, and have fun, and I'm sitting there typing and researching and writing and reading, and I didn't want to be there. My kids didn't want me to be in that spot. I was sitting there at the table, and I'm like, oh, I don't want you to think like I'm some spoiled. I feel I'm spoiled. God spoils me, but... It is an honor and a privilege to be able to dive into his word and share. In the past year, what I've found is my position here at Edgewater, I've had to kind of uh, work on a lot of things kind of behind the scenes, some, um, maybe some administrative type things with our family ministry and um, a lot of the teaching I was doing for a, lot of, a long time with like middle schoolers and high schoolers and stuff. Justin Cabot has done a phenomenal job of jumping in and helping with that and sharing with that. But my fire and my passion, the thing that gets me excited, the thing that I'll suffer for on vacation, the thing that will make me want to persevere is digging into God's word and, then, and, and finding out, man, what? I want to share this with somebody. I know people who are struggling with this. What does God's word say about that? I want to share this with them. So God knew. God knew last week that I had to return to my first love. And he beautifully orchestrated an opportunity for him and I to sit down at a table. Good things going on with my family. But he gave me an opportunity to read some scriptures that hit me, that encouraged me. And it was, a, it was a, I'll admit, not super emotional unless it comes to God's word or kids. It hit me a couple times. You are so loving. You called me into this spot. You appointed this time because you wanted my passion and my fire back. So, how do you get that back? Can you get it back? What does the angel of the Lord say? Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, listen, remember where you were. Remember. Remember that spot you were at before? You remember where you were. You're not there now. We're not focusing on that. We're talking about where you were. Let's get that back. Do the works you did at first. Do what you did at first if you want that fire and that passion back. And I don't know what that means for everybody. I'm not sure specifically what that means for you to get that back. But if I had to bet, I would say it has something to do with what Moses did. Listening to that beckoning call and that faithful obedience I don't know what, how it looks. It's going to look different for everybody, but I know it's pretty simple. It's going to be obedience to what God is placing on your heart. You got to do something. He says, don't just sit there. In fact, he says, you left it. I didn't take that fire and passion from you. You left that. 
but you can get it back if you do what you did at first. Do the deeds you did at first. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that I can get up here and say, just do this and just do that and life's going to be perfect and blah, 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 blah. Because there was a few days ago, there was a moment where I was standing and I was watching the waves kind of crash. We did this little hike by this cove and I was watching the, watching the waves hit the rocks. And they were just pounding on the rocks. And I was just thinking, they never stop. They never stop. The waves never take a break. They come with a little more force every now and then and a little less force here and there, but they never stop pounding on those rocks. And your life is no different. The enemy wants to beat at and wear you down with wave after wave. And so it's really easy to stand here and say, just do what you did before. You got to get your passion back. You got to get your fire back and totally be ignorant of the fact that the waves are hammering. I see what you guys are going through. I hear it. We talk to people. We see prayer requests. My heart breaks. My heart breaks. There are things that I read and see that make my knees weak, that make my stomach just like, ah. And so I know that it's easy to say that. I know that some of you have marriages that aren't doing well. I know some of you are struggling as a parent. I know there's kids in here who are confused and struggling and have a hard time with their parents. I know that sometimes you're not feeling it as a dad. You're not feeling it in ministry. You're not feeling it at your job. You've lost the fire and the passion at your job. The waves are hammering. But listen, passion, passion is an action. Passion's not a personality. Passion takes some perseverance. Passion takes some toughness. We know this life will not be easy. If you want to live with fire and passion, you got to persevere through some things. I wish that there, that wasn't the case, but we've got to persevere. We've got to push through some difficult times because passion is an action. It's not emotion. It's not feelings. It's not it's not a late night rendezvous. It's not a flare up at a little league baseball game, screaming and yelling. That's not passion. That's emotion. Those are feelings. Passion perseveres through tough circumstances. Passion requires discipline. This past week, as a former Middle school, high school history teacher. I was just kind of reflecting on Fourth of July. I call me weird, whatever, a nerd. I, I'm reading through some like historic figures and some things that happened in the founding of our country, and I, I was intrigued by a couple of stories. You guys know, or you've probably heard, um, the story of Nathan Hale, twenty-something young uh, teacher in New England at the time, Revolutionary War, Christian, awesome, great guy. Everything that's been recorded about the guy is just phenomenal. And heroically, he signs up to go do battle against the British, to fight for freedom, to understand that it's going to take some passion and some perseverance to get what we want, freedom. In the same way that Jesus had passion and perseverance to set us free from sin and slavery, Nathan Hale said, sign me up, I'll go. And whether it's true or not or whatever, legend, myth, whatever, and he, he gets... 
caught as a spy. It's debatable what he said, but the next day as he's beheaded, he says, my only regret is that I have but one life to lose for my country. That's heroic. That's passion. That's perseverance. That's somebody that says, man, let's go. Let's get after it. But on the other side of it, passion also looks like what the, what the soldiers went through at Valley Forge. George Washington's troops there early on in the war, not looking good, things not going well. One of the most brutal winters ever hits at Valley Forge and a thousand or so men dying or leaving and barely, barely hanging on. Some accounts say that Martha Washington was around praying and taking care of soldiers and, and some things you read say they didn't even, some of them barely had clothes. They sat by a fire all night just to stay warm and the men that made it through that were able to use that passion for freedom and persevere through that would go on to see great success because of the toughness built in them. It was passion and perseverance in Nathan Hale and in the soldiers at Valley Forge, and they look totally different. One is 80s movie, Sylvester Stallone going down in a blaze of glory, whatever it is, heroic, yeah, stand up out of my chair and cheer for that. And the other one was, man, we just gotta survive this. We got to take the beating and survive this right now. So as a coach, I tried to put that into my teams, instill that kind of passion and perseverance. And we had this saying that, I, that we would say, up 20, down 20. Up 20, down 20. And it meant when we're, when we're on the basketball court, it doesn't matter if we're up 20 or if we're down 20. We don't look at the scoreboard. We keep playing. And because of that, if we were playing Sheldon or somebody, and we were getting beat pretty good. Our guys are flying around and trying to make plays and diving on the ground and trying as hard as they can. And the game's out of hand. It's pretty much over. But they got this passion, this perseverance in them that says, no, I'm not looking at the scoreboard. I'm here. The game will end eventually. I'm not quitting. I'm going to use a little bit of passion and perseverance to get the most out of the situation. And then there were other times where we, were, we would be killing a team. And they're still trying to score. And other people and coaches and teams, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, I'm sorry. My kids are playing with the passion, the per perseverance that says, I'm, I'm not looking at the score. Up 20, down 20 points. It doesn't matter. I'm still fighting. And we as Christians, we got to have that. We got to have the fire in us, the passion in us that says, we got to persevere. I'm not looking at the scoreboard. You know Why? I know who wins. Jesus Christ wins. Amen? He wins. So I can do, I can go about my life and I can fight and compete and have that passion, that perseverance because I know the outcome. I'm on the winning team. Now, <clears throat> some of you need to get back in the game. You need to do what you did at first. God has placed some goals and some dreams and some passions on your heart. And we want you to join us in building God's kingdom in Grants Pass. I don't know how it's gonna look for you, but I'll tell you this much right now. If Edgewater is only based off of mine and Kelly and Matt and Chad and Mark and just, if it's only based off our ideas, this is as good as we're gonna get. This is it. But if you are to live as you were created and have the tabernacle 
dwelling within you and living as you were created to live, you've got some ideas and some passions and some persevering that you can do to help build the kingdom of God. We have a special needs ministry here at Edgewater. It provides parents who have kids with special needs the opportunity to come hear God's word, to come praise the king and give them an hour and a half to just rest in him. And you know who didn't start that? Me, Chad, Kelly, Matt. We didn't start that. That wasn't our passion. That wasn't something we were gonna persevere for. We're thankful for it, but we didn't have that idea. Trish Sada had that idea. She's the one that puts the time in on that. She's the one that suffers for that. She's the one that feels so passionate about it that she says, I'm gonna persevere for this. It's important to me in building God's kingdom. There's an infinite amount of ways you can get involved here at Edgewater. You guys know there's doorkeeper. All this stuff needs set up. And I'm not here to say, hey, we really need your help. We could use your help. That would be awesome. But in the 10 or 12 years that Edgewater's been doing this, there's never been a service that hasn't gone off. God always provides. The invitation for you is for you so that you can fulfill the ministry that God has for you. I don't know what it'll look like, but I hope that you find that. Like Stacy and Tawana, Dan Mason. I don't know if you guys know Dan Mason, but for 10 years or so, he makes cookies and brings them to our high school youth group. Even like once a year, the building needs to be shut down for something. He still brings cookies. He's been doing it that long. And it's like five or six dozen cookies every single week. And it might seem like a small thing, but we have kids that will bypass us, walk right through the door and go straight for the cookies. They're that good. You know what that cookie does? It's an icebreaker. There's kids that will go to that and they'll have that. And it is such a blessing. And you can't tell me that there's been a Wednesday or a Thursday where he's been slammed with work and maybe has thought about not doing that, but he said, no, I got to do that. I got to do it. I got a, I got a passion and I've got a perseverance for high schoolers. And I'm going to push through and I'm going to do this. A few weeks ago, we're tearing down the kids wing at Fruitdale and there's four people between the ages of 65 and 70 with hip problems and back problems and uh, arthritis and diabetes and they're moving toys and hauling things and loading a trailer and what can I do for you? And they got this joy and this smile and I was so blessed, so blessed. Passion and perseverance isn't when you do something and let everybody know that you did it either and let everybody know how hard it was. That's not the same thing. I was so blessed to watch that. So a few years ago, 10 years or so ago, I came to the pastors and I said, you know, I've, I've been fasting and praying and trying to find out where to get involved and I just really feel like God wants me to get involved with high school. And so I've been helping with the high schoolers since then. And I personally have been blessed to fulfill what God called me to through the obedience of me listening to him and saying, okay, you got that for me? Let's go, let's do it. A couple weeks ago, one of those high schoolers got married and I had the privilege and honor and blessing to be able to do the wedding for a kid I met when he was 16 and grew up in our youth group. And about seven years ago, I was leaving here. It was in August, and I was about ready to go back to teaching and coaching. And for about a year, God had kind of put this thing on my heart, and 
I saw a friend of mine, Kurt Cole, down there. We were both getting our kids, and I said, you know, I don't know. This is kind of a, I don't know if you'd be interested in this, but God's kind of prompting me, and I feel like I, I should start this Bible study for teachers and coaches, and we just get together once a week, and we'll just look at a devotion. We'll just share some encouragement with each other, and he said, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm there. Let's start the first week. And so it's been going for about seven or eight years. And it's morphed throughout the years. Some guys have been able to come and some haven't and fallen off. and fall. But it took me sharing it with somebody. And then it took another person saying, yeah, what can I do to help you get that going? I had to tell someone, someone. And I had to get the encouragement from the body. And that's what's so cool about the fellowship of the saints. And this, God's kind of put something on my heart this morning that, I don't know why, but he wants me to do it anyway, so I'm going to be obedient to this. I want you to take out your phones. If you have a piece of paper that you're taking notes on, you can use a piece of paper. Go ahead, take out your phones. I want you to open up your text messages. In the text message, I want you to put this number. And we're not getting you to, we're not going to try to sign you up for something. We're not trying to take any money from you. We're not like asking for anything other than that you fulfill what God has placed on your heart. And in the number, I want you to write, I want you to put this 541 226. Some of you aren't doing it. I'm going to slow down and wait. 541 226 8505. Now, in the message. Some of you are in Valley Forge and you're persevering through a brutal winter and you need, desperately you need prayer. We as your pastors want to pray for you. Tell us how we can pray for you if you're in Valley Forge. If you're Nathan Hale, and you're so full of fire and passion right now, you're like, send me out. I can't believe I only have one life to give for my God. Tell us where you want to get involved. Again, we're not signing you up for some contract. We want to, we want to help you. We want to do what we can to see you fulfill that ministry that God has called you to. We want to see you build this kingdom. And now listen, if you don't know what any of this means, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're just trying to figure life out, we're going to have some pastors down here that want to pray with you. We want to see you live with that tabernacle within you. We don't want to just see you be saved from hell and get your stamp to heaven. That's great. We want to see you being used in God's kingdom. When you know what your purpose is, passion and perseverance are going to come. And you were created with a purpose. Your purpose is to dwell with your heavenly father, made possible through the work done on the cross through Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with this. It was the disobedience of Eve that fractured that perfect communion she had with God in the garden. She lost her way. 
the lampstand was put out. It was Moses' obedience that led to guidance and direction of the lampstand. It was as if God said, you know what? It was broke, but I'm going to make a way back to Eden. And then Jesus, his son, comes and says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Come on. Let's go. And then in Revelation 2, we see it says, if you don't regain this, I will remove your lampstand. You're going to have a hard time finding your way. But at any moment, you can return to your first love. Would you please stand with me and pray? Father, I pray for those here today who have lost their fire, their passion, who maybe have never experienced that. I pray that today would be the day that it comes back. Today would be the day that they are filled with you, Lord. Give them that fire, I pray. Give them that passion. Speak to us, Lord. I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to be obedient to what you've called us to. If there's any in here, like Eve, who feel like they've lost their way to Eden, I pray that they would know their loving Father loves them so much that he gave his only son to have them back. I pray they wouldn't leave here without that, Lord. I pray that they would come down and experience new life, Lord, through the baptism of you. For those that have lost their passion, their fire, I pray, Lord, they would return to their first love. I pray that we would persevere through the valley forges, Lord. I pray that you would bring us back to those Nathan Hale moments where we are running on fire for you. Thank you for this body, Lord. Pray a blessing on them. In Jesus' name, amen.